Welcome to Inside Rugby League, podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram, and joining me on the line this week again is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter's the Chief Rugby League Writer for the Yorkshire Evening Post, and it's fair to say he had a cracking return to the game on Sunday, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could, um, you could say that. It was a bit of a culture shock after five months of not having attended or written about any live sport, and then... Um, First game back went to Golden Point extra time, which meant a quick rewrite of the report, <laughs> which might have appeared in the paper had um, had things stayed as they were with 12 minutes to go. But in terms of a spectacle and a return for the competition, it couldn't have gone much better, could it? It must have been fantastic viewing for people on, on Sky. Um, a good Huddersfield performance for 68 minutes. They were the better team. But once Leeds found the feet and, and came back at them, it's one of the most remarkable comebacks I've ever seen in Super League or Rugby League at any level, really. From 26 6 down with 12 minutes to go to get it level and then kick the drop goal in um, the golden point drop goal in extra time was just absolutely extraordinary. The thing about this Leeds team, they. They make mistakes, they give some penalties away at times, but when they get the game together, they cut out the errors and they're disciplined and they get their attack going. They're a very good team to watch and they're very effective. Um, I thought it was a case where for their fight back, Leeds deserved a point, but for their dominance, for the opening hour or so, Huddersfield deserved a point. I'm not a fan of, of Golden Point. I think a draw can be a, a legitimate result in rugby league. But that said, it, it certainly made it a memorable afternoon for, um, well, particularly for Leeds fans and probably for neutrals who were watching. I was I was in the, lucky enough to be in the stadium, and it was quite strange, really, because as I say, with with 15 minutes to go, there was no way back yeah. for Leeds. And when Luke Gale scored, it seemed like a consolation try, and then. Even when Luke Grisco scored almost immediately afterwards, you didn't really get a sense of something amazing happen, happening because there was no atmosphere. If that, that had been a Friday night in front of a crowd, the, the wave of emotion from the terraces would have swept over the game and, and would have um, created quite an electric atmosphere. But you didn't sort of get that, that sense of something special happening really live in the ground but I mean it certainly was a, a remarkable comeback some spectacular tries a little bit of controversy but um, probably just the sort of return that the Super League needed really to show the, the quality of, of what the game can offer to, to the viewing public Yes yeah, certainly I mean I, I watched both the games on the TV uh, Saints and Catalans you know, which is rather one-sided and then without the atmosphere, uh, to be frank, a bit boring, really. You know, once Saints got on top, they were never going to lose. Um, mm. Whereas with the Leeds game, they were always hanging on in there, weren't they? I think, you know, Huddersfield certainly deserved their lead. And as you mentioned while you were speaking, two things we discussed uh, with our listeners earlier in lockdown <laughs> came true for you that night. The golden point, which neither of us, as you've said, 
particular fans of. I think both fan, uh, both teams sorry, deserve something out of that game on Sunday for the effort that they put in. And also the famous rewrite, <laughs> where the game's completely turned on its head in the last five minutes and what was going to be a, a doom and gloom disaster show all of a sudden becomes one of the greatest games that you personally have seen, and myself, you know, no doubt about that. And it was, it was funny watching it on TV because uh, Huddersfield had opened up this 26-6 lead and I think when Gale scored his try, the camera went in on the Leeds players and you just got that feeling as they all looked at each other and celebrated that, you know, we might be able to do this here. Yeah. And then yeah. when uh, Briscoe went over in the corner, uh, that was one of those where there was probably a cigarette paper between his boot and the white line as he got the ball down. And you'd think that, excuse me, a non-televised game, maybe the defending team would have got the benefit of the doubt there if, you know, without the ability to go right in and see that, yes, it was a try. Somebody might have probably said, oh, well, he's probably in touch there, you know, and the chance might have been gone. And those things sort of all came together for Leeds. And I think Huddersfield had a couple of players going off injured too. And someone commented on the TV after the Briscoe try that, you know, this really could be on now, you know. And, of course, the rest is history. And say the only shame was there wasn't a, a, a fans in there to kind of celebrate and enjoy the spectacle. But, uh, you know, again, fantastic start back and, and, and great publicity and a lot of people, obviously, talking about the game, which is all good. Um, TV coverage itself uh, it was, you know, again, they use the uh, sort of cheering and so on that uh, footballers use. And some of it was a bit over the top and a bit canned, but in general it did help, as I've said on several occasions, to create this feeling you didn't notice as much that there wasn't a crowd there because there was a bit of a buzz and a hum going on and that certainly helped with the coverage. And, uh, you know, the fact, as we mentioned last week, the fact that the cameras go in tight means that you don't really see much past the first few uh levels of seating apart from maybe when they're taking goal kicks and so on so all that helped and i think you know sky did a good job i do think sometimes the sky commentators witter on a bit too much and that was certainly the case on sunday again but in general terms you know it was a super spectacle and a complete contrast to the saints game that went before it mm, interesting interesting thoughts that i i think i i think stuart plank was was commentating um, on the the yes, Rhino yeah. thing. So obviously, I'd, I'd not seen it because I was I was in the stadium. I think he's a good commentator, um, Stuart. And obviously, it's difficult, isn't it, when when you don't have the atmosphere there, and and the the commentators are probably trying to create a bit of their own um, a bit of their own atmosphere. But I think the way Sky, it sounds like the way Sky have done it is um, is very good, and I think their use the Australian television's use of um, the crowd noise has been more successful, probably than than it has been for football over here. I don't know whether rugby league suits that sort of thing a little bit more than football does. I can't can't really see why. But um, when I've been watching the NRL, I've I've quite enjoyed having the sound effects in the background. But when I've watched Premiership football, I've, I've tended to watch the version where you you um, you can't hear any cans cheering, but you can hear the players. That was yeah. one of the interesting things for me on Sunday, being able to hear the players. I mean, 
a lot of people listening to this will have watched amateur rugby league and um, academy level rugby league. So it's not particularly a, a new thing being able to hear the players, but it's quite interesting. Um, some of it probably not suitable for a family audience, no. but <laughs> I didn't notice a, a huge amount of um, industrial language, as they say, and, and it, it was interesting to hear some of the, the chatter that, um, that goes on during a match. I could also hear the referee shouting six again when he was restarting the tackle count under the new laws. Um, I understand you'd be able to comment on this more, but I understand that it was difficult to um, to tell when the tackle count was restarted on the TV. There is actually a buzzer that sounds in the stadium to get a backup, but we were actually hearing the ref shout six again yes. before the buzzer sounded. So that was that was quite um, quite interesting. I don't know whether you can hear the buzzer when when there's ten or fifteen thousand people in the stadium, but I didn't I didn't think. Um, that was too much of an issue knowing when, when the ref was, was restarting the count. The number of times the count was restarted I think was a little bit excessive. I hope it's not going to be sort of 10, ten times per game yeah. once, um, once we get into the swing of it. I think referees are obviously on a learning, learning curve as well as our, as our players. Um, but it certainly makes the game very fast with there being no scrums there isn't a moment for players to to catch your breath, really, which I'm not sure is a good thing. You, the only real stoppages at the weekend were for for injuries or when conversions were being lined up. Other than that, it was it was bang 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 and maybe a little bit touch and pass. But hopefully, that things might settle down a little bit in that regard um, as time goes on. But I think if We'll have to have a look at it if in a few weeks we're getting a lot of injuries, which is um, a worry given the speed of the game, certainly based on what we saw last weekend. Yeah. I mean, a couple of points to pick up on there uh, from what you were saying, Peter. In the St. Helens Catalans game, they made a, a point of timing it, and the, the first break in play of, of any description came on 11 minutes 50 odd seconds, I think it was. Uh, that was the first time that they actually had to stop for a reason, um, you know, to, it might as well have been a penalty. I can't remember now off the top of my head. But I remember the commentator saying that compared to a normal game where you may have a scrum or, or whatever, or an injury break or something happening, that 11 minutes odd was the first time that the game had stopped at all. So it was like 11 minutes of bang, bang, bang. And, from what you were saying about sounds as well, I had John Wells, the former Castleford player, down on the touchline, the guy who does some of the commentary for for Sky. I'm sure the listeners know who he is. And he was saying how you could really hear the impact of the players in the tackles um, and just how solid and hard they really do hit each other uh, in the collision. Um, because, again, there was no crowd or buzz to, to drown that out. And I know normally the TV coverage... Uh, they usually do a count on the screen, don't they? Uh, you know how many, how far a player's gone, and and how many tackles that they've gone through. Um, so I couldn't honestly say I couldn't honestly say off the top of my head whether they did that on Sunday or not. I'd have to be honest there. I had one eye on my work screen and one eye on my iPad. That's my excuse. But uh, normally they do. You know, in the past they've always done a, a count and a meter, how many meters somebody's made, and so on. So. 
maybe they'll look to to bring something like that in again. But overall, you know, for the first weekend back, um, you know, I thought it was good coverage. Uh, say the Saints game was a bit disappointing. Catalans didn't really turn up. Uh, but Leeds and Huddersfield more than made up for that. And as we've said before, a bit of a shame that neither, well, one side got no reward for all the effort that they'd put in. But again, as you said as well, regarding the injuries, uh, both sides did lose a few players, I think, during the course of the game. And uh, that'll be interesting to see as the weeks go on. I know uh, from watching quite a bit of the football as well that, you know, players having played two or three games over a rapid period of time in the Premier League and the Championship have been going off with soft uh, tissue injuries, you know, hamstrings and things like that. In fact, Cup final on Saturday, Chelsea lost a couple of players like that. Uh, so that they're all things that will obviously have to be managed and taken care of, um, you know, as the weeks unfold. And, and as we've said on here a few times, obviously play, um, teams will be dipping deep into their squads, I'm sure, as the season goes on. Mm, I think that's that will definitely be the case. The team with the, the deepest and strongest squad is going to be the ones that grab, grab the, uh, the glory in the competitions this year, the Challenge Cup and Super League. Um, this weekend, we're back at Emerald Headingley for, um, for round eight of Super League yes. on Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Excuse me. Should have been three games. Is now two games with the following the demise of um, Toronto Wolfpack, or at least for this season. Um, Castleford versus Catalans, first up at 4.15, and then Warrington v Hulkear at 6.30, both on Sky. A um, couple of games, I, I would think that, um, that you'd go for Castleford against Catalans, in that one, the Catalans have the advantage of having played. They've got a game under their belt, whereas Castleford have been um, out of action for the best part of five months. But Castleford are a good team. Catalans tend to, to struggle on the travels. We often see the sort of um, lacklustre, I think is a good word to describe it, performance we got from them last week. They will have Sam Tompkins back think did he get one but I'm not sure if that's all much suspension or two but he missed out last week um I think Castleford will Castleford will be too good I think Castleford are, are genuine title contenders this season Warrington against Hull KR Tony Smith against his um former club yeah I know Warrington have have struggled at times so far this season and, and Hull KR now are bottom of the table but when you look at the the respective squads, Warrington have probably got the best squad in Super League, and you'd think that they will be um, they'll be too strong in that one. What, what are your thoughts, Rich? Yeah, <coughs> excuse me. I don't think I can really argue with that, Peter. I think that Castleford will certainly beat Catalans on the evidence of what I saw on Sunday from the French side, and as you say, they're notoriously bad travellers, really, and. I think that Cass are going to come out all guns blazing. They were obviously in fine form just before the lockdown and uh, all the talk throughout the lockdown and the build-up to Castleford's return has been about uh, you know, getting back to that level as quickly as possible and pressing on. And as you say, I think they're prime candidates for the semi-finals this season and maybe going all the way 
if they can have a fair run and keep the injuries down. Um, Catalan, say on Sunday, very disappointing. And uh, I think once Castle forget on a roll, I don't think they'll have any problem beating them. I think the Warrington game will go in the Wolves' favour, but I think maybe the game might be a bit tighter than it would have been before lockdown. I think Hull KR have managed to get a few players back from injury now that they were missing at the start of the season and in the early part of the season. Um, and while I don't think they'll beat um, Warrington, I think you know they'll probably put up a better show. And the fact that there's no relegation now will obviously help the teams down there maybe relax a bit more and, and play a bit more rugby and not be as constrained by worrying about uh, relegation, you know. So hopefully that will create some good games as the weeks go on as well. Yeah, and then on um, Sunday we've got three games, so it's going to be a, a busy old day. Yeah. Starting at uh, one o'clock with Salford against Hull, which is an interesting one. Salford had a poor start to the season. They've only won one of their opening five games, but we don't really have a form line, do we, because of the long gap between matches. They're up against Hull. They'll be on the last first game in charge. They obviously sacked um, the previous coach, Lee Radford, after a disastrous defeat to Warrington way back in um, in March. I think Hull, I would expect Hull to be, uh, to be too good in that one. But, but you never know. Hull can be a little bit consistent. Salford do have some decent players in their squad, although probably they're not as strong as they were last season when they reached the grand final. That'd be an interesting one, but I'd expect Paul to win that one. Wakefield against Wigan. Uh, again, Wigan um, potentially um, could go top. They're one of four teams on, on eight points. Same applies to Castleford. Um, they you would expect will be confident of, of beating Wakefield, but Wakefield, your team, um, Keppel turn it on on the yeah. day. Uh, a lot of that is, again, going to be down to how the, the two teams handle the uh, coming back from the long layoff. It'll be their first time under the new rules. They'll both obviously be very rusty, so it'll probably come down to who settles into the game um, the best. I think Wakefield needs to stay in the contest. They can't afford to let Wigan get um, get out in front against them because we're going to uh, a tough team to come back against. Um, if I had to put my last pound on it, I'd probably, based on form before the before the break, probably back Wigan. But I've seen Wakefield turn in some good performances against Wigan um, in recent years, and it'd be nice for that to to be repeated this time. That's um, 3.15 and then at 6.30 we've got Leeds against St Helens which is an absolutely fascinating encounter Leeds now being top of the table at this very early stage and Saints being the defending champions I think Saints made a slow start to the season but there were signs last week that they possibly put that behind them under the new coach Christian Wolf. I think some of it will depend on which Leeds turn up. If Leeds play like they did in the first 65 minutes against Huddersfield, they'll get absolutely walked. But if they can produce the performance from the last few minutes against um, Huddersfield, then yeah. they've got every chance of beating themselves for the first time in a couple of years. But 
you just don't know, dear. That's what makes it so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. The Saints games tend to be harem scare and the ball flying about all over the place. Chances and spills and thrills galore. I will say I think it's going to be a good game and Leeds have home advantage at home and like last week when they were away but at home, if you know what I mean, they were yeah. away changing rooms <laughs> against Huddersfield. It was actually Huddersfield's home game. This is Leeds's home game. Um, I don't think being a head in Lee has gives them that much of an advantage with there being no no crowd in um, but I, I think Leeds are due a win against St Helens, and I, I think they might just um, nick this one. But I think that's going to be that could be another um, could be another cracker. But Leeds will certainly need to improve on what we saw from them um, them against Huddersfield for most of the game. Yep, I think you've been reading my script, Peter. But <laughs> I think I think we'll both be filling in the same coop. We'll be both uh, <laughs> filling in the same coupon this week, but. I think it's fair to say with Hull against Salford, Hull certainly can't play any worse than they did against Warrington, uh, the game that cost Lee Radford his job. I, d- I did see that game and they were appalling that night. And Hull are another team, it, it seems, each season. It depends which Hull turns up. They're, they're capable of going on superb winning runs or dreadful losing streaks in recent years. And uh, Andy Last, as you say, the new coach, setting some kind of record for the longest period maybe as a caretaker coach without actually taking charge of a game so he gets his chance on Sunday I'm sure that'll be one for the pub quizzes in years to come uh, Wakey and Wigan as you say Hart obviously says Wakefield for me but head Wigan but then again Wakefield have had some good results as you say against Wigan in recent years and uh, you know of the sort of so-called big four teams that Wigan are the ones that Wakefield always seem to put up their best performances against and uh, in a one-off game coming back, you know, both teams will be cold. They haven't played last weekend, obviously. Then maybe, uh, you know, they'll catch Wigan out early doors where there's, they might not have done a few weeks down the line. So I'm I'm going to go for Wake. I'm not going to desert them. I'm hoping that they can pull off a narrow win uh, and get off to a good start on the restart. And Leeds and Saints, again, we talked the other week about there probably wouldn't be any blockbusters in the early period of the uh, comeback rounds. Uh, but obviously this is a huge game for both clubs and for the neutral such as myself and one that I'm really looking forward to. And again, it, it depends on the teams that turn up. Uh, you'd think if the Leeds team that played the first hour or so against Huddersfield turn up against the Saints team that Wallops Catalans, then they'll get another hiding, and I don't think there'll be any scope for any comeback against Saints like they did against Huddersfield. Uh, so they've got to stay in the game early and uh, stop Saints as players like Lachlan Coote, and hopefully, uh, you know, Luke Gale can have the same influence again this week as he did last. And uh, I think Leeds have a chance. Uh, funny you were saying about Leeds being the away team last week. I think with the fact that they they were always listed as the away team on TV and wearing their away kit, uh, it, it did make make me feel at times that they were the away team. You know that they didn't have any kind of advantage at all. And looking at the result, you think that's a fabulous away win, <laughs> daft as it sounds. Although obviously they were playing on their home turf. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I think you know again, uh, I. I'd go for Leeds there as long as they play like they did in the last 15 against Huddersfield. That would be my, 
escape card from there. If they do that, I think they've got a very good chance. If they don't, they won't. Interesting, interesting. The big talking point from last weekend, uh, obviously we are going to talk about it now, wasn't so much the rugby, was it? Um, I noticed that CNN, who have, I think it was 49.5 million Twitter followers, um, were tweeting about Israel Falau yes. the other day, um, which is... Which is um, shows the sort of the reach that story has. What what, um, what happened for anybody who didn't see the game um, before the Saints and Catalans game? Players took a knee for um, in a gesture against racism. Um, there was only one player who didn't, which was um, Catalans centre Israel Falau. In the game, second game, Leeds against Huddersfield, all the players uh, that were on the field did. Um, but obviously, Falau's decision to stand during the... It wasn't the national anthem or anything like in, in American football where this originated. It was just sort of a pause, um, like we've seen in Premiership football, before the kickoff. Um, obviously, the fact that Israel Falau didn't... Um, taken the has created headlines as as we said headlines across the um, across the world and has created quite a lot of controversy. Um, it's an interesting debate. This one, um, I think first first thing to say is that he's got every right not to to kneel. Yes. Um, I think it has to be it has to be an individual choice. Having said that, I can't think of a single good reason not to. Um, I know people are talking about Black Lives Matters, that's capital B L M as being a, a movement that they don't agree with. But I think what the players were doing was making a gesture against racism, was saying that Black Lives Matter with um, with lowercase B L M. Yes. And I, I, I just don't see how anybody could could argue with that. Um, I've seen on, on social media um, the old arguments, well, well, white lives matters as well and all, all lives matter, but that's that's not the point. Nobody's saying that white lives don't matter. It's, it's um, black people who need support in this case. What, what the, um, what the movement, if you use that again with a, a, a lowercase, um, is all about is saying that that Black Lives Matters as Black Lives Matter as well, um, and and that is that is a, an issue in society, and I certainly don't think you can keep sport out of that. Sport doesn't live in in a bubble. Sport's part of society. Sport's involved in politics. It's politics which led to um, the formation of of the Northern Rugby Union. Uh, back in 1895, 125 years ago, that was a political decision by the northern clubs to break away from the rugby football union in a dispute over whether players could be compensated for, for time lost um, playing rugby when, when they could have been at work. So you, you can't separate sport and politics. And I think the players who took a knee should be applauded for it. I disagree 
with Fallauer's decision not to, but that's his own personal decision. Um, I don't know whether anyone in the media has asked him why he didn't or what his what his thinking was. I'd be interested to hear that. I hope that players will have an opportunity um, for the foreseeable before matches to show their support for anti-racism. I think that's something that rugby league has. Um, well, maybe not anti-racism as such, but in, in rugby league, there's always been a, a culture of um, inclusivity. Um, we've had black players in the sport dating back years. I did a piece in our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post, um, the other day about Lucius Banks, who was a black player, the first black player to play professional rugby, uh, played for Hunslet in 1912. So rugby league has a history of... Yeah. Um, employing black players and it's never really been an issue it's obviously it's not for me to say whether racism exists in the sport um, I'm not aware of too many examples but I'm sure there are black players out there who will have unfortunately experienced racism and I think they, they have to be listened to and the sport has to act on, on what they're saying but um, I think it was great to see players showing their support for the anti-racism movement the other day and I hope that um, hope that continues and I think that the criticism they're getting out of you I tweeted a picture of the Leeds players taking a knee and had a few people saying oh if I'd been there I would have booed I just can't understand that attitude at all why would you why would you boo someone making a, a principle um, a stand by not standing if you like yeah. um, I think rugby league has to do everything it can to um, to fight racism and to fight for e equality in rugby league, we have um, we have a, we have rugby league for um, people with physical disabilities. We have um, people rugby league for people with learning disabilities. Women's rugby league is um, developing and, and growing all the time. We've had a history of black players in the sport for many many years, going back over a century as I've said, um, but more can always be done and I hope more is done. I don't know why we've, we've had so few black coaches in the game. I mean, one of the great early pioneers of coaching um, in the 60s and 70s was, was Roy Francis, who yeah. coached Hull and, and Leeds and coached in Australia, uh, someone years ahead of his time, Ellery Hanley's coached. Successfully won a grand final. David Plange took Hunslet to the verge of um, promotion to Super League, but we, there aren't enough um, black coaches coming through, which is a shame. Hopefully, Jamie Jones becoming at Leeds, perhaps will um, he's assistant coach now. Perhaps he'll he'll make it as a, a head coach at, at some point. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see more non-white faces on the terraces as well. Um, sorry been rambling on about this for for a little bit now but, but it's something i feel quite strongly about rugby league always has been inclusive i hope it always will be um and it saddens me that some people um albeit people on on social media um seem to 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 have a problem with that it's um it's one of the great strengths it's in of rugby league and i, I think we should make more of it Yep, uh, very well put there, Peter. Um, 
my view, you didn't ramble on at all. You, you cover the subject and the points very well indeed. Um, what I would add to it is, uh, on a general term, as usual, we've had those two games, rugby league coming back after the layoff, and of course it's overshadowed by something that's taken part off the field, uh, involving a man who's been involved in controversy before. And I think it's fair to say that Israel is a fundamental Christian, isn't he? And he has very strong beliefs, and his beliefs on homosexuality got him into trouble in Australia, which led him losing his contract with the Australian Rugby Union and eventually pitching up at Catalans, who gave him a chance to play there as long as he came out of stayed out of trouble uh, in terms of keeping his views to himself whilst contracted to them, as far as I understand it. And from there then, it makes me wonder whether we haven't heard from Israel because he's been told as part of his contract even before uh, this incident that, you know, you're not allowed to speak about these matters. If you want to stand, then you're free to stand. As Steve McNamara said after the game, you know, it was a, the club made it clear their views that they're, you know, against racism. They're all one team and one body. And, you know, they're all against any kind of prejudice. And uh, I felt a bit for Steve McNamara because obviously he'd watched a poor performance by his team and as well as having to sort of defend that, he was then having to defend Falau again, who, of course, as you've rightly said, is more than free to make his own decision and stand up if he wants. And a couple of people suggested on Twitter, and whether this is right or not, I don't know, but some people said the only person Israel kneels before is God. And that was the reason that he didn't take the knee, that uh, he believes that the only person he should kneel down to is God. And he, obviously, as I've said, has strong belief in God. And again, on that level, that's his right. The interesting thing for me as well was that, you know, other sports, I noticed motor racing, Lewis Hamilton's been leading a campaign there to get the drivers to kneel or take a knee uh, on behalf of, or, you know, this gesture of, saying that we're against uh, racism and prejudice in sport, but six or seven of the drivers there haven't taken the knee. They've stayed stood uh, behind those who have and, and you know, ha again, hasn't attracted the kind of publicity that Israel Fellow did on Sunday. And I just think that, um, you know, as, you, as you've pointed out, in my time of watching rugby league, I, I, I've no doubt there have been racist incidents and some players have suffered racial prejudice and abuse, either playing the game or not being able to get a club or maybe not being able to make it into a team. And I know Michael Lawrence of Huddersfield Giants has spoken about that this week, but he basically proved people wrong by getting in the team, the England team, and playing for Huddersfield. And in my time watching the game, black players have just been a part of it. it you know, when I first started watching football, in the late 70s, you know, most teams were all white and the famous three black players at West Brom were an exception and Terry Connor at Leeds United was another exception. Who, of course, had Albert Johansson back in the 60s when he was probably virtually the only black player. Um, but in league, they've always been part of the game, going right back to the excellent article that you wrote in the Yorkshire Post at the weekend about it and the influence that black people and people of colour have had on the game, which, of course, Falau himself is. He is a person of colour. So, and, and as a Christian, you would imagine that he believes in the tenet, love thy neighbour. Um, so, you know, his view is his. And uh, just going off at a tangent for a moment, but, you know, anybody listening today, 
I'd urge them to go to the Yorkshire Post website and have a look at Peter's article. You know, it re really was an excellent piece of writing and very informative too. And uh, a good way of highlighting the, inf the positive influence that black players have had on the game. And, you know, some of the game's all-time greats going right back to the start uh, and, and through to more recent times in my watching, you know, Ellery Hanley, Clive Sullivan, Henderson Gill and so on, you know, some of the greatest players who've ever played the game. And, and you know, and there's always been a place for them in the game. As you say, I'd rather follow Stud and stood for his principles than felt, you know, that he had to kneel, but he didn't want to because, you know, this kind of sheep mentality. You know, I'm sure there's a few people taking the knee in sport who are doing it because they don't want the embarrassment of... Uh, being singled out for not taking the knee, even though they don't really particularly believe in taking the knee, if that makes sense. But, you know, it's one of these matters. Uh, it's, it's something that individuals are free to do. Um, but as you say, I can't, I can't really understand the mentality of not wanting <laughs> to say, well, I'm against prejudice and so on and, and, and against racism and racist behaviour. You'd have thought that was just a sort of general... Uh, trait of being a human being um you know we're all we're all one people and you know let's hope that rugby league continues to reflect that yeah well said um well said rich yeah um interesting to see what happens this weekend as as, as you say I, I don't think you should make players um take the knee or whatever um that defeats the object yes. really but I would I would hope that that everybody in the sport will join join in um, showing their their solidarity really with with anyone who's fighting prejudice whether that's based on race gender sexuality or whatever and um, that's something rugby league's always always done and I hope will always continue to do here here just going on next then, Peter, um, just a bit of off-the-field news. I think we mentioned Toronto earlier, but uh, development this week now where they've, I think, officially been thrown out of Super League, haven't they, and been told that they must present a case uh, next season for readmission to Super League. They're not just going to get their place back next year. And uh, two other clubs, Featherstone and Lee, also pressing to try and take uh, Toronto's place in the top flight. Um, be interesting to see how that, uh, unravels as you know if, if championship clubs don't come back uh, maybe they'll have some kind of I don't know presentation uh, where the three clubs put their case for acceptance into Super League and the other 11 clubs vote on that you know, based on their ground and their finance and their squads and so on and I'm not sure how they're going to solve it but as, as I said last week I can't imagine an odd numbered Super League where uh, one team sits out every week I think they're going to have to try and uh, even the numbers up again. However, they do that, I'm not sure. I think you, I think they probably probably could go with eleven if they had to, but I'd, it's a it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I'd I wouldn't like to see Toronto go out of business. Um, I I think that potentially they can bring a lot to the sport. They've got. Uh, a wealthy owner who's obviously um, had a very tough time during the, the pandemic financially, which is unfortunate for, for him and everybody concerned. 
with fats, um, but they're, they're a special case of being based um, across the Atlantic. Having said that, um, and I think we should persist with them, having said that, I, I think if, if a club can't fulfil all its fixtures, then it's very difficult to say, well, yeah, they should be allowed back into the competition next year. I mean, obviously, Lee and Featherston haven't fulfilled their fixtures either, but yeah. that wasn't sort of their, that wasn't their decision. Um, that was a decision made made sort of by the competition. Um, so I, I just I just don't know what the answer is really. I think it'd be very difficult to promote a team from from the championship um, without them having played this year. Unless you go back to the old licensing system, and that took took a long time to to put together. And I, I just don't know whether that could be that could be done in time. Um, Featherson present a good case. Um, I'm sure Lee would. Lee have the, the stadium and the facilities in their favour, but if anyone's been to um, Featherson Stadium recently, it's a lovely little, little yeah. set-up. It's, yeah. it's a, a, they've done a, a fantastic job there over the, the last, um, last few years. Um, they're a good club that does a lot of work in the community um, for a lot of time for Benson there's some good people involved there but whether whether it's realistic for them to come into Super League next year or not I'm, I, I don't know I'm glad I don't have to make that decision um, they'd obviously need to strengthen the squad um, they'd have a lot of work to do off the field as well and they don't have a, a huge amount of time to do it or obviously it would have been the same if they'd been promoted in in October they'd have, they'd have had a limited amount of time but um, yeah it's just one of those that someone's going to have to make a decision but whatever the decision is whether it's to go with 11 or to promote a club from the championship based on facilities or, or whatever it's not everybody's going to be happy about it um, and I'm glad that we can just comment about it rather than having to <laughs> make the decision ourselves yes yeah it's, uh, it's one of our old adages of this show isn't it that it's, it's a tough decision and I'm glad I'm not making it um, but interesting what you say about Featherstone because they are a club who've done it the right way haven't they they've kind of built up slowly but surely both in the team and off the field they've, they've improved their ground they've improved the team and they've kept doing it bit by bit each year without going mad and putting the club in trouble but always contending at that right end of the championship. So it'd be interesting to see whether they could make the step up um, or whether they could get a team together in time or afford to get a team together in time that could compete in Super League. And Lee have been up and down a few times, haven't they? They've, they've run into trouble a couple of times and you know they, they've had spells in Super League in the past. I just wonder whether they might say to Toronto next season that, you know, this really is your final chance. You can come back in, uh, but any nonsense, you're gone. Uh, and, you know, you'll have to finance it all yourself, as you promised, and pay your players and, and pay any outstanding debts or monies and and just see how it goes. Because, obviously, they're a pull for the new TV contract, which is coming up at the back end of next year, isn't it? And, uh, you know, again, having a team like Toronto in it, can only help the case for perhaps getting more money from the next deal. 
Uh, the other alternative I saw floated in the papers at the weekend, of course, is London Broncos, who I'd kind of overlooked. They've only just been relegated from Super League, but uh, Danny Ward's still the coach there, isn't he? And Jamie Langley. They've kept yeah. a lot of their setup there. Uh, so maybe London would be uh, in a position to step back up and, and take Toronto's place. That was an idea floated. At the, well, I think Danny Ward himself was quoted in the piece as saying that, you know, London would be willing to have another shot if it came round. And obviously they were looking anyway to be one of the teams pushing for promotion at the end of this season before everything else that befell us. So again, it'd be interesting to see which way they go and... Uh, Hopefully they'll sort it out. Uh, say I've said a few times, my own view is I can't see them having an odd number unless they really, really have to. But, uh, you know, needs must again at the moment with finances and everything else. Uh, if they can only afford to run an 11-team competition, then, you know, that may be how it has to be for a few years. Or, you know, obviously they'll be cutting fixtures, but we've said before about getting rid of the loop fixtures and Magic Weekend would add a fixture as well, wouldn't it? Mm. Interesting thoughts. Well, that one's obviously um, work is being done done behind the scenes on on that as we speak, and uh, we'll see what um, what develops from it. Yeah, yeah, a busy old week, and uh, at least some more action to look forward to at the weekend again. And you know, hopefully, the talking will all be about what happens on the field. But with this being rugby league, you just never can tell. <laughs> seems to be something new round each corner every day, doesn't there? But uh, as and when it does happen, I'm sure we'll be here to talk about it, Peter. Uh, but I think for this week, uh, that'll be all. Thanks again for all your comments and insight, and thanks to everyone for listening. All that's left for me to say, as usual, is to remind you you can get the very latest Rugby League news from Peter's Twitter handle at PetersmithYEP, from my own at Richard Byron YEP or at YEP Sports Desk. And there's also our website, yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk, for the latest rugby news, rugby league news, sorry, from Peter, and all the latest sports news and all around the coronavirus too. So thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon. Thank you.